Hello everyone, GMGM. GM. Welcome to another episode of the Soul Fate Podcast, where we have conversations with blockchain founders and builders in the Solana ecosystem. Welcome to the episode. This one was was super great. We had Stepan, co-founder of Squads, the very, very well-known multi-sig product protocol, whatever you want to call them. It's uh it's it was a great conversation. It it really was. I mean, not not only is squads a huge deal, but like Stepan oh, yeah. himself was awesome. Just like super yeah. fun to chat with. He was super fun to chat with. I, I was very surprised to learn his personal background. He actually comes from the M&A world. For those of you who don't know, that's mergers and acquisitions. So in the in the non-blockchain world, he was helping with like merging large companies and the the governance structures of large companies. And I think that's very, very interesting to compare and contrast, and which we did in the episode, of how these like governance structures of traditional, regular, non-blockchain industries and, and companies go to how that governance translates to blockchain. I thought that was super yeah. interesting to talk about. Yeah, we, I mean, we call it out in the conversation that like a mm-hmm. lot of people in the crypto space are introduced to the idea of governance through crypto uh, and, and maybe don't realize that that governance all around us <laughs> is not a governance is not a new thing right the idea of like how you govern business entities or or trusts or other types of structures has been around for for a very very long time um are, i mean arguably that's what government is right is is an yeah. entity with <laughs> some bit. kind of governance structure behind it so uh, has has existed for a very long time uh, but but super cool loved hearing sort of how squads ended up in the multi sig space how they think mm-hmm. about multi-sig as, as a necessary primitive for a bunch of things in, in crypto and how they're solving that problem. Um, definitely like an awesome, they have an awesome product, awesome protocol, awesome people. Uh, you know, the, the chat with Stepan was, was just awesome. You, you know, definitely jump in and listen. Yeah. And I guess the last thing is, is that it was just for a non-developer founder, like you don't have to be a developer to be in the uh, blockchain space or in the Solana ecosystem. Like he's a non-developer founder. doesn't mean he's not technical because like he's still very technical. For, for sure. I, I think in the show, I, I say non-technical, which is probably not true. Like he is he is very technical and mm-hmm. lots of people are very technical that are not uh, not software engineers. But that part of the conversation, I, I actually am really happy about and would, would love for everyone to listen to. Because I think we need, uh, I think we need more non-developers participating in creating Absolutely. the software uh, that that crypto powers in order to make it better for for everyone. Right? It's like we need a lot more profiles, if you will, uh, in order to make the right products and, and right stuff. So, you know, uh, cool stuff. Cool stuff. All right, let's just go ahead and dive right in. Let's do it you're most known for in the ecosystem. I'll backtrack with that and say like, at least what I know you from is as sort of the co-founder of Squads Protocol. I would love to hear sort of your personal story of getting into crypto, getting into Solana and sort of starting Squads. So if you know, you can be as as brief or, or as long-winded with that as you want. I think we love whatever you have to say about it. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I did corporate m a uh, before I got into crypto full time, so it's not a traditional, I guess, you know, crypto story. Um, I, I did mostly sort of restructurings and corporations, kind of, um, and, and just structuring complex M&A transactions, mostly English law. I lived in London for about seven years, and uh, during the, um, I think, 2017 boom, 
It was still very new, but people in the sort of law firm I was at at the time, some of the clients were asking, you know, what's Bitcoin? Like, how do we invest? Uh, you know, what's potential like legal uh, repercussions of us doing that? And like, how does it all, all work? Like, what's a blockchain even? And so that's kind of, that was like my first major exposure. I had to write some memos and kind of figure it out, like to, to, to basically distill it in, into simple wording for like very non-technical people and me myself being non-technical. So that's kind of how it started for me. And then it kind of died down after, you know, the, the, the cycle has, has ended at the time. I was curious about crypto, but didn't really get back into it until I think 2020 when I was curious specifically around like the governance space on ETH, uh, because it was it, it was kind of clear like what you know crypto can do for finance and how that you know could be disrupted i think for what i was interested in was like governance how it could disrupt what i was doing right in terms of formation of legal entities and potential like uh, ownership on the internet like all of that seemed really interesting to me and so i was kind of researching dao tooling on eth and like how it was all kind of shaping up early 2021 i learned about solana yeah, it just seemed really cool. And then the hackathon rolled around, like Solana Season Hackathon. We just, you know, joined the Discord together with Danny, my co-founder now, and, you know, my friend for about 10 years. He comes from, like, finance background. And we just started talking to people, saying, you know, we're thinking about building something governance-related. We don't really know what it is. If you're also interested to form a team, come and, and talk to us. And about 30 people responded. You know, there was, like, some some selection that happened during a couple calls, but... We ended up forming a sort of team of six, I think it was at the time, just to figure out a very simple all-in-one mobile-first governance platform MVP. We thought that would be like the super easy thing we could build in a hackathon. Yeah, I mean, obviously just we casually we didn't really trying build... to build an all-in-one tool for a hackathon. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's pretty easy to do, right? <laughs> exactly, and like it's also it was very like also very consumer-facing in many ways, and also mobile-first in an ecosystem which didn't have that many primitives at all. To build on top of, so that that was ambitious, but uh, we didn't really build much for the sort of end date of the hackathon. But the team mostly, like not not all six people, ended up uh, kind of you know joining the the team when we jumped into it full time. But a lot of them, and so during the summer it was kind of nights and weekends. We you know were iterating on the idea, and then th the first thing we kind of figured out was that well, before we actually get to building what we want, we need to you know what are the core primitives that need to exist in the ecosystem for that to be a possibility. And so that's kind of how we first got to like a governance framework or a governance platform. And then we even, you know, sort of stripped it down further to a multi-sig primitive that also was non-existent on Solana. And so it, it was a pivot still like from governance to multi-sig. And w we still feel like it's, uh, it's been like a major turning point for us. But basically, yeah, that's, that's the story how we got to Solana. And like from September 2021, we went at it full time and raised the sort of the first pre-seed round we did and uh, yeah then just uh, dropped what we were doing and went to Solana. That's awesome. I want to pick at one thing you said which is that like the thing that interested you was how crypto could disrupt what you were already doing in with sort of structuring business entities and, and that sort of thing. I think for a lot of people maybe this is a misread of the environment but I think a lot of people they're the first time I've ever even heard the word governance at least used in that in that sense is with DAOs, right? The, the first time I've ever really thought about like entities and how those entities are managed and how you create groups that sort of decide the direction of that entity. But that's obviously, you know, it's not exclusive to crypto. It's it's a thing that exists out, you know, in, in sort of traditional business management where you've got these companies that have sort of governance entities, whether that's that's a board or, or, or something, right? I'm curious to sort of 
get you, maybe hear you do a little bit of compare and contrast between a little primer of like, what is non-crypto governance, right? And what do we still have to do in crypto to get feature parity, if you will? Well, I think in outside of crypto governance is really about, I think the, the closest you know, concept would be corporate governance, right? Which is a very broad term that can mean sort of a lot of things. It can mean you know, sort of interactions between the shareholders and the board. And, you know, potentially if it's like a public company, it gets kind of closer to the world of, uh, you know, what we see with, you know, potentially analogy to token holders, right? Um, I also feel like today there's a kind of a requirement to pretend that they are very different things that have nothing to do with one another. And that, uh, you know, we shouldn't conflate shareholders and token holders and like, because it's all, you know, because tokens are not securities and all that, right? I think the way I kind of see it is that maybe there is a world where in the future we wouldn't have to pretend and actually tokens are just a much better technical implementation of equity and shares. And there are, some of them should be securities, but they're just securities on much better technical rails, which are not sort of encumbered by, you know, old infrastructure. In, in my opinion, similarities between corporate governance or like, you know, non-crypto governance and governance we see in, in, in crypto in many ways is very similar, right? You have stakeholders, be it, you know, shareholders or token holders that uh, to a different extent participate in, you know, life of a protocol, life of a company. They're entitled to getting certain distributions of value that is, is accrued to, towards the protocol, um, similar to what you see, you know, with dividend distribution um, for shareholders. So I think there are a lot of similarities. I think the, um, the governance that actually, but that's if we compare, you know, the governance we potentially want to see in crypto to the governance outside of it. I think the governance we actually have right now that works is very much uh, limited to, you know, these very core functions of the protocol and, you know, even like, you know, the proof of stake systems and like th th that's probably the cleanest form of governance in crypto that we've seen to date. When, when you're thinking about protocol governance, I think there's a lot of decentralization theater, like protocols are still very much controlled by, uh, you know, a bunch of entities. But there are examples where they're more decentralized. But I think as, as time goes by, we will see potentially, you know, innovation and kind of a very different way to govern a, a business or a protocol, which will be actually much less similar to what we see outside of crypto. But right now, I think the similarities are, are pretty apparent. And uh, that's why I think also many people are frustrated with governance. And it also has its cycles, right? Like we see people get excited about DAOs in certain periods of time. And then, you know, the, the hype kind of dies down and then it, it goes back. I think last time we've seen that with, you know, Constitution DAO. Um, but I think the excitement around DAOs and governance during that period was less around uh, sort of, you know, governance itself. It was more about, wait, we can actually, you know, form a DAO and raise a bunch of money for something. So again, it was more financial in nature than it was around like figuring out a new form to organize a bunch of humans. Yeah. But to get back to the point, I think like the purest form of governance right now, it's probably the, you know, like you have on Solana, a bunch of validators around the world that actually don't know each other, but they come together to make sure that the system works. There's like economic incentives, there's other incentives. And you know, you, you see that with like Solana upgrades, right? Like when, when the network needs to upgrade or like something needs to happen, you need, you know, you, you need these validators to come to consensus. And this is, I think, the purest form of governance we see today, uh, which is quite unique because um, you know, they're actually directly responsible for the network running, right? And being operational. On the note of protocol governance, especially with like like we were just talking about your your background in like dealing with traditional corporate entities and their governance, do you think that 
protocol governance does need to be truly decentralized. Because like, if you think about any Fortune 500 company around the world, there's some amount of decentralization within this corporate entity. They're possibly a global company. They have locations all around the world. They're servicing customers all around the world. But when it comes down to it, there's still generally a centralized entity of individuals. The 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 board of directors, you have maybe your C-suite executives that are the primary driving function of that protocol, business, company, whatever you want to call it. Do you think that in the blockchain space that it needs to be decentralized to the point where it's you know anonymous people around the world contributing and pushing things forward? Or do you think that it kind of will more than likely like hinder because of this decentralization, social decentralization, if you will? Right. I think like it really depends on the protocol, right? For some protocols, decentralization is a great feature and it should be there. For some, it's a bug and it just doesn't need to exist. I think we, we're we sort of right now think that th- there has been at least kind of movement towards that, like everything needs to decentralize, maybe because majority of people that get involved in crypto want to eventually launch a token. Those two interests kind of align that like, well, it's a good narrative that we want to decentralize the protocol, but also in the process of doing that, there's like economic upside for us potentially because we can, you know, launch the token. Um, I think for some, you know, protocols in crypto, decentralization is really helpful, particularly if it's, you know, a core primitive in the ecosystem. And, but also like bear in mind, there needs to be something that, that should be governed, right? For instance, for something like squads, Mm -hmm. at least at this point, like it's immutable. There's nothing really to govern on the protocol layer. We're building the next iteration of it and that's not immutable yet, but the very core piece of squads even, right? Like there's really nothing to govern, right? It's it's just there, it works and, and you can go and interact with it, right? But then for, I think like a lot of the DeFi protocols that need to constantly be updated need need to evolve. I think there is a moment where they kind of find their you know clearest product market fit. They are you know core primitive in the ecosystem. There is a world where it it would be healthy for them to be decentralized. Uh, and I think it, it really is just it should be judged just on, on a sort of per protocol basis. I think that makes mm-hmm. sense. And then there are certain, I guess, you know, like proof of stake networks where decentralization is like a core is a core factor, right? It's it's a it's a determining factor whether I will build on a chain or I will use a chain. So I think in that case it's it's absolutely paramount. I think when it comes to protocols, I also would probably like to say that, you know, it, it's it's still a divisive topic, but like immutability is important for a lot of this stuff. So I'd rather see more uh, protocols immutable than decentralized, just because I'm skeptical of you know, the level they can get decentralized. <laughs> so th- that's just guess another point that we've been thinking about. But also, it, I, I really don't want to, you know, sort of paint here with like a really broad brush. Like it, it you know, it's really case specific, right? And so it really yeah, there's, there's so many, it depends uh, in, in it. Decentralization is, is absolutely a spectrum in my opinion. Like depending on what it is at the base layer, base blockchain, no matter what blockchain it is, like have being incredibly decentralized is very, very important. But once you get to the application layer and, and, and maybe even slightly below that, the protocol layer, it's like strongly and it depends on what's going on, how much traction they have, kind of kind of conversation. So, yeah, we, we've sort of touched on something that, that I think is important, which is which is sort of removing dogma. And it's not does everything need to be decentralized? It's well, what is what is the purpose? What are we using this for? Or you mentioned when you were talking about tokens, about how right now there's sort of the ecosystem generally it pushes back really hard on tokens being similar to equity, you know, when in reality, it's like, well, it depends. There are some tokens that a lot like equity and there are some tokens that aren't They're They're more like a currency and there are other tokens that it's, it's neither. There's no sort of legal counterpart for it. And we need to create something new, right? That, that sort of thing. It, 
that I think ultimately what interests me the most about blockchain technology is the new primitives it provides and the optionality that those primitives give people. And that optionality, I think, is what is what people forget every once in a while, right? Is like in their little corner of the world, they might be really focused on decentralization. And so to them, it's like everything should be about decentralization when, in fact, you could even have like a, a very application-specific layer one chain that is centralized and and that and that's okay because it's it's meant to be this niche thing that not everybody is using for for like these arbitrary trustless transactions but then you might have something like Solana or ETH that you do want very decentralized because it's meant to be this super broad you know layer that any application can can fit into so i find that really interesting and i i feel like especially the sorts of things that you're working on need need to facilitate all kinds of different use cases Right. Like you're you went sort of deep, deep down enough. Like you said, you sort of kept stripping away until you got to sort of multi-sig. And it's like, oh yeah, you're fairly application agnostic, where it's like we want to support all the things that you're working on. You know? I think that's a very interesting framing because like we're thinking constantly in terms of even, you know, the the stack that we use, you know, for the app. Like there's the on-chain layer, there's the UI layer, and like you can keep drilling down and and think, you know, which parts of that should be as decentralized as possible, which parts of that should be immutable, which parts of that. Like it, it really is a, a constant question you ask yourself. Is there like more value in in something because it's decentralized as well as, you know, providing the features you want? And I think from, you know, we've been thinking a lot about different ways uh, you know, to 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 self custody your assets, right? Like there's, you can do it with a multi sig, you can do it with a you know traditional wallet like you know Phantom or Backpack. There's MPC providers. There's you know full custodial services. You can use Coinbase, right? And so there's so many ways to do it. And um, I think in 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 the self custody context, um, I think decentralization and immutability. You know, when we started this, I didn't care that much for any of it. Like, you know, if if it works, I'm happy for it. And then two years later, and like after so, so many things happened, and like you know, a bunch of things collapsed, a bunch of things survived, and and, and became Lindy potentially and more resilient. I am actually now valuing decentralization a lot more, and the idea that like if there is a very, um, you know, when I'm thinking about you know even squads on Solana. Like, okay, there's this, you know, Solana, this very performant and decentralized blockchain and, you know, squads V3, which is the current version is, you know, immutable, formally verified, you know, audited about six times total, you know, contract that can hold assets, right? And I'm thinking, well, like those are the two parts of the stack I probably want as decentralized and immutable as possible. And I think one of the cool things that, you know, even building on Solana allows us for like building on a decentralized blockchain is that all we need to do at this point is we just need to build a program that you know that works and build a UI on top. Like we don't actually need to think about decentralization or bootstrapping our own validators. Compare that to you know like even you know NPC providers that provide you know custodial self custodial semi custodial services or even just non custodial tooling. You know there's like Fireblocks, Copper, and then there's tons of more NPC wallets. The core logic of the basically the the, the multi party computation is actually you know completely off chain. Right, so in many ways, you are the behest of that you know specific private company being around to provide you that infra, right? Um, as opposed to something that you see, you know, was safe on EVM, where you know it's an open source immutable contract that just lives on the blockchain. The blockchain is decentralized. The blockchain is running, and so even if the you know company that's providing you the interface goes away, 
the assets are there, the program's there, and there's absolutely nothing that can compromise the security of it. So I think, you know, as, as you kind of get deeper into things, and I guess as you spend more time in crypto, you are valuing decentralization in some places a lot more. In some places you think, well, you know, I don't care for it and, and it's fine for it to be completely decentralized. So again, it kind of comes down to that case by case. I want to dig into multi-sig a little bit, right? Because that's obviously like the, the core offering behind, behind squads. And I guaranteed there are still listeners who have never used a multi-sig and probably some listeners who don't even know what, what it is, at least not beyond just sort of an abstract general idea. So would you mind describing what a multi-sig is and then also maybe describing the various use cases for it, why you why you find it important uh, as, a, as a primitive in, in the ecosystem? Right. So I think multi-sigs are usually called wallets. That's something we call them as well. But I think in reality, they're just a consensus mechanism, right? And like, it's a consensus mechanism for a bunch of keys on the blockchain to agree whether a transaction should you know go through or not, right? I think that that's probably the simplest explanation we figured out internally. But from a sort of product perspective, it really is a wallet. Uh, it can be used as a wallet that is managed by a group of people. You know, it can be uh, two or three people. It can be you know up to. I think it's kind of unlimited, but uh, for for ideal user experience, you probably want to cap it at like twenty because after that point, it gets pretty chaotic. But it really is a you know from a, from a simple in the simplest form, it's a shared wallet that you have basic rules for like threshold, which allows the transaction to go through. But the the reason I like the consensus mechanism definition more is because when you think about wallets, you're you're thinking about treasury assets, right? You're thinking about your soul, your USDC that you can manage together. What we, you can really manage with a multi-sig is like anything that exists on chain, right? So today we're, we've expanded that definition to program management, right? So if you're launching a program on mainnet, it's upgradable on Solana, right? So it's, it has an upgrade authority which needs, which needs to be held somewhere. And potentially if that's you know, a, a protocol that holds a lot of TVL or has a lot of users, it's really valuable. And you don't really want that to be held in a single wallet. And so decentralizing control amongst your team or amongst a group of people you know, over that very core asset that you have is very important. And then we expanded that to validators. So there's, you know, withdrawal authority that validators have, right? So you can expand the multi-sig to um, token authorities, right? Because like you're launching a token on Solana and you want to make sure that, you know, the um, the mint authority is actually with, with your team and not with a single developer. Because if I have the mint authority, I can mint more tokens, I can burn tokens uh, and change its, you know, metadata and properties. And so I think this is where we started discovering that multi-sig is actually a very you know, broad mechanism that you can apply to any asset that exists on chain and any authority that you can manage jointly. Definitely killer features today on Solana is treasury and programs. Uh, those are the two main assets that every team on Solana has. And the product that we have today, at least the, the main one, is really positioned um, towards teams and organizations and sort of mostly teams building things on Solana, but also there's, you know, venture funds that use squads and then there's um, kind of uh, high, high to mid net worth, I guess, individuals that want a more secure experience for their individual assets. So they use a multi-sig as well. That can also, yeah, I mean, the multi-sig is a very agnostic concept, right? So it can be used by individuals, but the, the product offering that we have is positioned towards organizations. And it really is about, you know, managing tokens, programs, treasuries, validators. Um, and then there's also the very sort of agnostic part of the app, which is a transaction builder. So you can really craft any transaction to interact with any program with your multi-sig. 
and that will still require the you know multi-sig approval to to go through. I didn't realize you guys had a just generic transaction builder. That's pretty sweet. It's like Solana Pay. It's like Solana Pay is not just for payments. You can do any transaction you want, and the possibilities are endless. <laughs> I guess to like kind of like dig down that rabbit hole there is. So you've listed multiple, we'll call them features, multiple use cases that various ecosystem teams and individuals are using Squads Multisigs for, or the various components within the Squads platform. I'm curious from like, like I guess like a technical architecture kind of perspective of when when Squads as a organization and as a team is going to more or less like, I guess for lack of better phrasing, like add support for an additional feature, whether it's like you said, like uh, like validator authorities, you need to you need to be able to properly handle those specific instructions in order to facilitate validators to actually like withdraw their stake tokens and and those sorts of things. When you're adding these types of features within the squad's protocol, is it a very one-off a la carte interaction where it's like here's a specific other portion of the blockchain that we want to integrate within within squads natively you want to support validators do you want to support spl tokens do you guys have to kind of like write a bunch of custom logic for that or is it a pretty straightforward and seamless i guess integration process in order to actually add these more specific use cases yeah so it's the i guess the 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 beauty of the way the you know squads works today at least is that it's very agnostic right so Everything is just an arbitrary instruction from from an on-chain perspective, right? So the program actually doesn't care what you're doing from a you know what features we're offering. The program doesn't actually care if uh, you know at least we're talking about expanding. You know, as, as we kind of started building towards this whole suite of features with you know validator management, program management, token management. So those features are just you know we just need to accommodate them in the interface, right? We need to provide a nice user user experience and like a user flow for for teams to be able to interact with. But from an on-chain perspective, the program's been immutable for I think about seven months now, and uh, so we haven't touched. Yeah, exactly. We haven't touched the on-chain code since because we can't really do anything with it anymore. Uh, <laughs> so the program's immutable, right? But I think um, we're we're now working on the next iteration of the protocol v4, which we're going to launch sometime next month. And so that like kind of accommodates for a bunch of features that we wanted to to have on-chain, right? So that includes uh, roles. So when you add a key to the multi-sig, you can now specify whether they can only be an executor, a voter, or an initiator of a transaction, or any one of those three, right? So basically, it gives you more granularity in terms of what you know a specific key can do within the multisig. We added spending limits, so you can say that you know that token from that vault, um, you know, up to that amount within that time frame, you can withdraw or send it to any address without you know passing the threshold, or you can whitelist a specific address where only there without the threshold you can actually send uh, the asset, right? So. For, for those things, that's why we're building the next program, right? Because there there are features that either we figured out users will want and then validate it, or they communicated to us that we really want this. Um, like another one, which is really big, is time locks, right? Because as we're thinking about uh, more protocols, you know, coming live on Solana and thinking about decentralization, um, kind of intermediary step between you launching a token and giving up control to the token holders of the you know program upgrade authority or the treasury. The intermediate step is you would say, you know, we have a multi-sig that manages the program upgrade. Here it is. And then every time you upgrade the protocol, like the reason time lock is kind of uh, an intermediate solution is because you can say, well, yes, we're still, you know, the team still has control over the program, but there's a time lock of 24 hours. So whenever we ship an upgrade, you have 24 hours, like if, if you think that there's something malicious in the upgrade or 
uh, you know, we're doing something you disagree with as a user, you can you have 24 hours before we can actually execute on-chain this upgrade to pull the funds, right? Or to do whatever with, with, with the protocol to sort of protect yourself. And so I think that, that's like another one that, that we have to accommodate on-chain. So really it depends on the feature, right? If it's uh, something that big and requires on-chain changes, it, it needs to be, you know, the next iteration of the program that accommodates for it. But majority of the things that we ship are very much in the UI. And so on, on an on-chain level, uh, the program doesn't really care. It's all just arbitrary instructions. When um, I'm, I'm curious, sort of given your background in in M and A, you sound fairly technical, right? Like you've been you've been deep in this for the last couple of years. So I'm I'm curious, like what would you say to maybe folks who? Well, actually, I should preface this with a question: Had you had you done any dev work before? You know, jumping into into squads. Like, what was your sort of level of technical, and by technical, I mean like in a programming sense, um, knowledge before before squats? I, I've seen the social network uh, and a bunch of other movies. But <laughs> Perfect. I, think that's, I do enjoy I think that that's, movie. It's a pretty good movie. <laughs> it is pretty good, right? Um, no, I, I, I have no experience, right? And uh, it's purely just, um, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I was just saying, this is great because because that I, I, that's what I thought. And, it, and my follow up question to that was like, I, you know, I'm sure there are people similar to you who have a ton of sort of uh, business or, or marketing or, or, you know, operations background and are struggling to find their place in what is at present, at least a very like technical founding environment. You've clearly done a phenomenal job at, at navigating that and, and saying like, hey, this is not all about programming. Like there's, there's, there's a bunch here and, and I, and I'm going to like be a co-founder and, and build an, an awesome thing. What, what advice would you give someone in a similar position who, who maybe is like trying to figure out how to navigate this highly technical environment without previously having that kind of technical background? That's a great question. I think before I answer it, I can give like a short opinion, I guess, which is kind of contrarian. Like, I think there is a... Uh, there's an argument to be made that the fact that someone's non like not technical doesn't have the background can potentially be actually really helpful in navigating something uh, like you know building these you know complex things on blockchains just from a standpoint that I need to you know I, I worry a lot more like if you're a very experienced developer that has done a lot of things has tons of experience usually it's like you know move fast break things and, and the approach is like very you know, let's just ship it. Let's get it out. Like it's gonna work. It's gonna be fine. Like we'll audit it. You know, at some point. And you know, this this kind of mentality. I think like I never because I'm non-technical and like I actually don't have that background. For me, it's like wait. Like let's get a second opinion on this. Like let's see how that can work. And so there's like from you know at least if you're like security first and like security oriented in, in development, that really helps. Uh, just because like I I you know I need to stop you know ask people to stop and explain things to me. And then, you know, when we get auditors involved, like I also like to really understand, like, you know, what's the issue that's being highlighted and like, how are we dealing with it? And so I think that's also the fact that I, I you know, need to catch up helps other people to like on the team that are very smart and much smarter than me uh, to also rethink those things. And like, th there's an element that, that it helps. I think in terms of advice, like it's... Uh, it, it's still, you, you need to make sure that like you're surrounded by the right people, right? If it was just me, I probably wouldn't get uh, too far ahead, right? So I, I was lucky to meet, I guess, tens now or, or like, yeah, tens, tens of people that were super helpful and, and smart and that, that yeah, I mean, I, I think made me at least very, you know, focused on the mission and, and in terms of figuring out like what parts 
you know, even of the technical aspects I need to be aware of and, and where I can sort of trust them. Right. And so I think that that's probably the, the, the most important part, but you, you definitely shouldn't think that you can't get into crypto if you're non-technical. Right. And I'm not even talking about like doing, you know, BD or marketing, like obviously that part is available to you, but even if you're thinking about like becoming a co-founder, as long as you get the right, you know, technical co-founder on board, it probably will be beneficial that you have, you know, a very different background than than your other co-founder. So I think that that really helps. And uh, yeah, I hope more people more people do it. But you know, definitely audit your code, form and verify it if you can. I I love <laughs> yeah. I love that answer. I agree with that <laughs> across I, the board. I, I, yeah. Well, it's just I, I I will I will say one thing that you alluded to, but I just want to make it explicit for those people is like you do have to want to to understand things, right? Because it's like you said, it can be beneficial to be coming in with with a non-technical background. And I wholeheartedly agree. But the things that you pointed to as positives came from you being non-technical and you asking people to stop and explain it to you, right? Like you're a forcing function only because you're willing to be a forcing function. If you just come in and and let the devs do their thing, you know, and say like, well, I don't know, so I'm just going to let them do it then that benefit isn't there. But if you're, if you're willing to do what you just described, which is say, hey, I, I have something to add, both in terms of my understanding that like regular user UX and dev UX is not the same thing. Uh, in, in like, it's very much uh, a struggle in the blockchain space. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> or like you said, in the questions that I ask, making you rethink your sort of traditional developer assumptions. Me saying like, hold on, you need to help me, a non-technical person, understand why I should be comfortable with releasing this, right? And it, and by pushing back like that, you you prompt a rethinking of 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 the structure. Uh, uh, oh, maybe maybe that isn't as secure as we thought. Hold on, let's let's get that second opinion or that sort of thing. So, like, yeah, totally totally agree. I would I would love for more non-developers to get involved with with building things. And and by the way, I think. A lot of developers in the ecosystem also want that because a lot of developers know that they're not the one that's going to come up with a with a, with like a great product. They they know that they can build it, but they don't know what to build, <laughs> right? Right. So so it's like they they want they want non technical folks who have great ideas and great leadership to come and 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 lead them. Basically, I often feel that way. If I'm being honest, as an engineer, it's like I often just tell me what to build, like you know. Yeah, and I think like the the hard part is that if you're you know if you're surrounded by smart developers and like uh, people that are actually curious, there's like so much new stuff that's always coming up, and like it's really you know a good developer always wants to dive into the you know new thing and figure out like how we can use it and go on a tangent, and I think. A lot of my kind of job, at least early days, was like, you know, definitely making sure that we do figure out whether that's something relevant to us, like this, you know, new feature that, you know, the new Solana upgrade allows for, or like this new protocol that we can potentially leverage for building a better product for our users. And, but then like figuring out, does it really fit into what we're trying to do? And uh, it's a constant, you know, kind of back and forth on that front. Uh, but I think it's like for us, because we have three co-founders, there's Sean, who is, uh, you know, the technical lead and like the, the most technical person. Uh, I'm like completely on the opposite side of the spectrum. And then we have Danny, who's kind of in the middle, who's uh, responsible for, you know, basically all the product work and the UX. And But he also like understands the software development process by now really well. And so he's definitely way more technical than me. And so having, you know, those, you know, three people on the spectrum, like on, on different places there, 
really helps us to, you know, I can come up with something very broad and like very just, you know, completely product centric. Then you can then kind of bring it closer to reality in terms of what we can actually build. And then Sean actually needs to go there and 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 build it. And then there's obviously you know a dev team that that supports that, that supports him in every way. So I think like that that worked well for us uh, up to this point. That said, though, I think V3 and the UI that we have on top of V3 is still very it's pretty basic and pretty minimal. And with V4 and the new UI that we're shipping on top, like we are trying to make it more you know SaaS-like in some shapes or forms because we kind of figured out that our core user you know is, is a team building on Solana they're using a bunch of SaaS tooling you know in, in terms of traditional web2 stuff and so we are going to try and make that experience closer like with a new UI the, the experience will will try to get closer to traditional SaaS in terms of some more kind of bells and whistles being off chain but providing you kind of a better experience and so it's interesting to see like how you can you know start with something very minimal and pretty much everything, like our V2, uh, the previous iteration of the protocol, like everything, everything that could be on chain was on chain, and so that made like every squats transaction like would would be very expensive because like the I think descriptions to you know to to proposals would be also on chain, right? And so that that also takes you know some size. And so I think as we're kind of discovering, like it's a constant balance of figuring out like what's on chain, what's off chain, and then as you're thinking, well, we want to provide a great experience to the user. Um, it's getting very, you know, close to a more traditional uh, software development process. So it's really, yeah, it's been really interesting to see like how it's been developing. And I guess um, we're still we're still pretty early from like the way we kind of think about the product and like where it can go. <laughs> it, it feels like we're you know at least you know, maybe thirty percent there max. So it's still a long way to go. Is governance still like a long term focus? No, no. I or, mean, like. Or is it, 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 it's not right. We, we've been thinking about this a lot, and uh, we really like the distinction that as soon as you start decentralizing control over any of the assets that you can manage with squads, you know, if you want to decentralize it to the token holders, this is where our you know our journey with you ends. So everything up until that moment, when it's about team level control, where you're controlling things as a company or you know as a fund or an institution or any kind of organization, this is what we're building for. And then, because just DAOs are very different customers and they're very different users and they just want very different things. And so, at least at this point, we feel like we'd rather go in a, in a different direction where potentially would venture into, you know, kind of going after a user that's not even using blockchains at the moment, right? Like if you're, you know, a, a startup that is open to not having a bank account, right? And hold a bunch of USDC in a squad and then just off-ramp it when you pay your employees, because you don't want to be tied to a traditional financial system, that's a user that's more interesting to us today than than DAOs, just because we feel like that kind of user is like a natural extension of, of what we've been kind of focusing on, as opposed to something that's kind of going in parallel. And you know, we, we just don't want to, I guess, spread our th- ourselves too too thin. I think that's the, the. So in terms of like expansion of the product, you know, you just you just mentioned sort of traditional companies keeping USDC in a in a squads multi sig. And then off ramping as needed. In terms of expansion of the product, would you would you consider expanding to having your own off ramp for for those sorts of sorts of things? Or like like I guess I'm I'm curious because I imagine your company is full of ambitious people, and so as soon as things are locked down, right, you'll keep adding, which you're already doing. You're talking about V4 and what's what's on there. So I'm just curious, like where do you, where do you keep adding? Once you feel like you've 
you've exhausted the the core of what a multi-sig is or or is that even possible will you will will that never be exhausted right no i think that's a very good question i think like the the key focus for us uh in the coming months at least will be around just the product offering on Solana specifically, right? Like what you can actually, in, like, you know, how can we enhance the experience for teams and their workflows when it comes to managing their treasury, their programs, and like a bunch of other developer assets. So that, that's going to be, the, I guess, the main focus for a while. And I think the potential next step would be, we also really like the idea that Solana is, you know, it's really fast, it's scalable, it provides, you know, for a great user experience that's similar to what you get with just, you know, traditional Web2. But at the same time, you know, users want exposure to, um, you know, other assets, right? So they want potentially to hold some ETH or some Bitcoin. But my kind of vision that we've been discussing internally a lot is like, you can use Solana, and I guess you should use Solana as a, you know, UX consensus layer. And this is where you set up your multi-sig, you add the keys, you set the core logic, but the assets that you manage with that layer should exist on any chain, right? And I think like you get right now with MPC, where there's like an off-chain infra stack that allows you to manage assets on Bitcoin, Solana, or Ethereum, would rather take that part that's being off-chain, that's being used off-chain right now and put it on Solana and secure it with, you know, smart wallet logic and smart wallet system. But then you can manage assets on any chain. I think like that would potentially be a more interesting expansion for us moving forward. And then, you know, going after a type of user that Yes, already is exposed to crypto, but potentially is unaware that they can use Solana, you know, to secure the core logic, but then actually manage assets on any chain. And I think as a potential next iteration of it, it would be what I mentioned before, like, you know, if you're a kind of a tech-oriented startup that is willing to not have a bank account, that probably would be the next step. But I think our own off-ramp or any of those things, like that, that's... Uh, I think for now, at least, not not in our wheelhouse. And there's a bunch of cool providers that we work with, like Coinflow. That or yeah, I think there's there's a there's Mezzo that's also going live on Solana pretty soon. That we like a lot more, you know, as partners uh, as opposed to building that ourselves. But you never know, right? Like maybe in a couple of years, we'll have a have a different opinion on that. That's that's cool. I like the idea of like use the chain to secure what you can, and then add bells and whistles that make the experience easier and more useful off off chain. I, I in fact, there's there's a bunch of that that I that I can imagine where it's like, yeah, I would give up a certain amount of staking yield or 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 pay some kind of subscription if it meant that you know I could I could have uh, more, you, you kind of mentioned itself, a more like traditional SaaS UI that gives me like email notifications for certain things that I, that I want to know, right? Like that, that sort of stuff. So that's, that's, that's cool. Yeah. And I guess like, as we've been kind of developing the new UI, like that's been the main focus, like figuring out what, what is this, you know, experience, what does what that SaaS like experience that we can bring to, you know, crypto offering, right? Like for, cause right now, again, we're still servicing very much teams that are very crypto native, but yeah, I think like, for the foreseeable future, that's the focus, and then uh, then we'll take it from there. But there's still so much to do, just purely on you know delivering the multi-sig experience that we feel like should be delivered, and so we have you know plenty of things to do. There's yeah. always too many things to do, not enough time <laughs> to do it. Story of life, you know. <laughs> there, well, there uh, was there was a minute there when I where I considered like storing all of my business assets on chain. And I and I still probably would if it were I would consider it if if there were like a, an easy way to make it happen. So. Maybe I'll maybe soon I'll be a customer. <laughs> that that being said, Nick and I for the show we we do have we a squads multi sig set up for sort of managing our like show expenses and and paying editors and that sort of thing. No, that's great, and I think like it really depends where you're coming from, right? Because like we have a bunch of users that would very much rather use a squad than a bank, 
because uh, like the places where they come from, banks are very unreliable, and a decentralized blockchain with a reliable infra is actually much better. And so really, I guess it also depends on on sort of where you're coming from. But I think as we're kind of bridging the experience, and uh, you know, the blockchain itself has become more resilient, the protocol is becoming better. People from places where banks are still okay figuring out, well, this is a more programmable bank account I can do a lot more things with. And, you know, I can do it all myself permissionlessly. And that could potentially be a, you know, a feature that draws more people in. That's part of what makes me consider it in the first place is, is the ability to basically, you know, have some automatic asset management where, where I can sort of pull funds on a, on a schedule. The the ultimate banking API, you know? Yeah. But, but, (laughs) but then it's like, okay, cool. I've got, I've got six months of runway that is just sitting here, not, not earning anything, not doing anything. There's, there's, you know, I could at least stake some stake USDC and get a few percent yield on that versus having it sit in a checking account, not making, not making anything. Right. So there, there's definitely, there's definitely like pros to, to having assets on chain, I think. Yeah, I mean, this DeFi cycle on Solana supposedly should bring you a bunch of opportunities and reliable primitives to to put your. I hear it's DC. back. I hear it's back. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm already trying to take advantage of them with my personal portfolio, as small as it may be, but um, still, still hesitant with my with my business assets. Yeah, I mean, you have to, you know, again, as we uh, the theme of this podcast is like, you know, it's case by case, right? Some protocols are. Ready for you to 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 ape in some. Probably you should wait a bit, but yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, it yeah, it is. It is on. It is unfortunate, but that's just that's the nature of of building new things, right? Is like there's going to be some stumbles along the way, you know. So that I I definitely weigh smart contract exposure as like it's if, a risk factor uh, you uh, need uh, to take into account. It's, e- that's- yeah. Even e- even if it's a smart contract, that's even if it's open source, and I've looked through it myself, it's like much smart. There are far smarter developers than than me who have you know had had. Uh, exploits or, or hacks on their smart contracts. So, so, you know, even just me reading through a smart contract doesn't necessarily mean that it's, that it's safe. So I, I more judge based on kind of what you just said about like the V3 squads contract, right? Which is it's immutable and it's been running for X number of months. And, and so we, you know, it's like every, every subsequent month we have higher and higher confidence in this is good. It's solid. We can't make changes seems like it's it seems like it's hack proof like cool we we trust it kind of thing and every once in a while it's like well i whereas every once in a while it's like i can get some really high yield by aping into this contract that launched yesterday and i haven't seen anything about it i don't know how it works but you know i'll i'll put i'll put a couple percent of my portfolio in there and see what happens and then oops <laughs> no that uh, that totally makes sense i think like when I, when we just kind of got into it and I figured out that, you know, we really, the, the, when we were shipping V3, like the, we had to figure out a formula internally, even before we even think about, you know, the user base, you know, what's this security formula that we want to satisfy to be ourselves, you know, confident in the program. And, uh, I, you know, was harassing, you know, my co-founder and then talking to, you know, Robert from Autosec and like guys from Neodyme. What else can we do, right? Because like security audit, obviously, right? You can open source the program. There's a bunch like you can, I guess, you know, run some, you know, fuzzers and all that kind of stuff. But then, what's this next thing? And then they were like, "Well, there's formal verification, but none of the programs on Solana have been formally verified. There's no real framework for it. Like it's just very new." So I was like, you know, I was talking to Robert at the time, like it was a year ago. 
I was like, well, can you formally verify our program? He's like, we need to see if it's possible. Like, we need to build a framework. So basically, that's what we collaborated on the first time. Like, he built a framework to formally verify our program. And so now I'm kind of trying to figure out what else. Uh, like, because I my my question is, is like, it's kind of I don't know if you've seen the you know the Oppenheimer movie. It's kind of like I want hundred percent certainty that nothing's gonna happen. And there's still like, uh, you know, at least 1%, I guess, chance that, or, or more that, that something can happen. Right. And so my kind of job is like constantly think, what else can we do to make sure that, you know, we kind of, you know, lower that, you know, potential, uh, percentage. And so for now it's been just multiple formal verifications, multiple security audits and making sure that like as many people as possible that, that are smart have looked at the code and, you know, thought deeply about what else could happen. We're in a place that whenever we send, you know, auditors the code, they would usually like right now because they're great auditors like Neodyme or Autosec, There isn't really anything on the smart contract level, so they start, you know, proposing like social engineering hacks, like what you know the risk would be, like what if somebody on a multisig is a malicious actor, right? And they want to pass, you know, some kind of malicious instruction, right? Like what, how what potential gamification can happen? Where you know multisig is used as intended, right? Like all the functions that have been verified, like are working correctly and are working as we wanted them to work, but they, you know, that can still be used against user. So we're we're kind of at that level where we're trying to figure those things out. But yeah, I mean, it's it's it never ends, right? Because like for uh, for for a new program, it's like we're we're starting from scratch, right? Because it's a, it's a new piece of code, and so it's it's always there. Yeah, but I think once you get to that point of when security auditors are for lack of better phrasing, like reaching for less likely things, like that's a good place to be in where, you know, they've they've dug through the code multiple times, multiple individuals and organizations have, and it's getting harder and harder for them to find any any problems or like potential problems when I, that's a that's a phenomenal place to be at. <laughs> yeah. If your primary concern is social engineering, you're in a good spot because that's that's traditional web spot, right? Is like the vast majority of of scams and hacks you know, off-chain on just sort of traditional web and, and in real life is social engineering because that's, you, you know, and, and, and at that point, it's like absolutely do everything you can to help people out. Also, there's individual responsibility there as, as well. So like that's that's a good place to be in where where it's like you can, of course, keep pushing for how can we how can we surface information better so that people are less susceptible to social engineering, but also that means if that's your primary concern, that also means that your technological primitives are pretty freaking solid. And that's great. So I guess, I guess congratulations a little bit, right. In, in that, like feeling like your technological primitives are solid. Thank you very much. Like you, you, you do get that feeling at some point. And then something like, you know, the, the, the biggest question that I usually have to sort of Sean, my co-founders, like what are the core dependencies that we have that we don't control? Right, like what are what are the dependencies that can potentially pose risks? Like Supply when you know, Viper, <laughs> right? Or like when Viper uh, bug happened on 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 EVM, right? Like I I learned that there's a compiler bug that also exists, right? That's not applicable to us, uh, but uh, it's still like there, there's always things you learn that you can potentially yeah figure out how to address, but you just need to you know take. As I guess as like the the broadest look you can to make sure that you know nothing um, nothing else can affect it. Cool, cool. Well, hey man, um, we are we are reaching our time here. I I've loved this conversation. It was so awesome meeting you. Do you have any last minute things you want to say to the people? Any 
final shill? I guess, you know, use a multisig, stay safe. <laughs> that's that's the shill. Love it. No, thank you guys. It was, great. It. it was a great conversation. I really, really enjoyed it as well. Yeah, cool. All right, man. To the listeners, we will see you in, not next week, because we're moving to every other week. Nick, I got you. Two weeks. But we'll see, we'll see you <laughs> next episode. Two weeks. All so right, long, Thank folks. you so much.